2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said light shall shine out of the darkness is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying around in the uh, in the body, the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our mortal flesh. Interesting. Verse 15, for all things are for your sake, that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man has been transformed and renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So, Father, we pray that you would bring revelation and the knowledge of Christ's face, who is the exact representation of the invisible God. We pray in our earthenware vessels that we would truly carry Christ in us, the hope of glory. Help me, Lord, in your thoughts, uh, your words, and may they truly be apples of gold and setting of silver. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, God calls us a vessel. What's fascinating, he calls us a clay vessel. Clay vessels are not exactly the most durable and are not the strongest. And a clay vessel had to be formed by a potter. And the Bible says he is the potter and we are the clay. So what he does is he prepares the vessel by God putting his intimate hand into the core of our being. For it to become a vessel, he has to go into the core of who you are. And then when we come to Christ, our walls are broken, he has to rebuild the walls. And of course, I think I've shared this before, we are often wobbly (laughs) on the wheel as Christ is rebuilding the broken vessel. And as he's doing it, there is living water being poured to help the master potter form the vessel. Then, of course, he puts you out to dry. (laughs) That's what a potter does. He sticks the vessel up on a shelf to dry. And that's really not nice. Having the intimate hand of Christ, the honeymoon period with Christ, you're suddenly led into the wilderness where ain't nothing happening. 
And you're crying out for the touch of the master. And then what the potter has to do once it's dried sufficiently is to take it into the kiln. Oh, dear Lord. (laughs) And what? Fire the vessel in the high fires. And if there are any impurity in that vessel that had not been removed in the process of reforming the vessel as clay, any impurity will cause the vessel to blow up. (sighs) (laughs) And that's the first firing. And then the potter will put a glaze on it and go for a second firing. And sometimes a third, sometimes a fourth, depending on how high the quality of that vessel is to be and for what purpose it's been used. So you may think you've gone through the fire once. (laughs) Welcome to it. How many are blowing up in the first firing? (laughs) God. And gone, boom. You think, oh my gosh, look at the call, the anointing, I'm amazing. Next minute, boom. So the impurities, that's why it has to be the goal of our instructions is love from a pure heart, a clean conscience, is that right? And a sincere faith. Because those who have rejected that have been shipwrecked in regard to their faith. And this is talking to Christians. That means Christians need to maintain a pure heart, a clean conscience, and a sincere faith. Because if that's not sorted and there's ongoing repentance, ongoing sanctification, then you won't have a clue when it says, create in me a clean heart, when you're a right spirit in me. And I know a heap of Christians are into some kind of whacked out teaching on, on grace, which has completely mucked them up because their consciences are seared. They have not maintained a clear conscience and they're justifying their sin saying, it's all forgiven anyhow. They use the grace of God as an excuse for repentance. So the Lord is looking for a vessel. What's fascinating is that the word is often, and it says in Ephesians that the word will wash us, prepare the bride, washing, the washing of the word. So the word can actually cleanse. How would you like to have been cleansed? Cleansed, washed. Okay. So God wants to wash us with his word. If you don't know this, oh, you're in real trouble. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, Do you, you are my letter, in verse 2, You are my letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men, um, being manifested, you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stones, but on the tablets of human hearts. What we're supposed to be is a living epistle, read and seen by all men. In other words, the word isn't just to stay in here, it's supposed to come in here and transform you. Wash you, renew you, change you, set you free. The word is truth, the truth will set you free. 
So it's no use just believing it and proclaiming the word. The word actually has to become part of you that people can get living bread from you because you are eating of the source of the bread of life. The word is the bread. Jesus is the living word made flesh. That's why I said, when you eat of me, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the word is the bread. So when you partake in the communion, you're actually partaking of his living word. But the word without the spirit is useless. That's why the blood, it was the life that was in the blood, which is the spirit. The spirit brings life. So word without spirit is as useless as spirit without word. What God wants to do is to train us and teach us to hear him. Not to get it secondhand from me or off the internet or some blinking podcast or be spoon-fed like a baby from some mega preacher. He wants you to get it. He wants you to come to the source of living water. He wants you to be able to go to the fridge and eat. Babies have to be fed. A mature person can feed themselves. So the job is not to leave the people as babies and immature. The job of the minister is to prepare them to maturity. The job of the fivefold isn't to say, come and let me do it. Our job is to help you do it yourself. Unless you want a whole bunch of spiritual babies that depend upon you. Then often you'll need them, you need to be needed by them to actually think that you have an identity. Anyone who has an arrest in Christ doesn't want people to follow them. They want them to follow Jesus. They want to do themselves out of a job. They want to go fishing. <laughs> Come on. How many want your kids at home the rest of their life? No. Grow up, get a job, and go to work. Stop bludging off us. We're not creating dependence. We're creating people who will come to the knowledge of Christ and know where the source of the living water is. So when they mine the Bible, they literally can do it themselves. People say, I can't hear God. I said, my dear Lord, open the Bible and do Bible roulette. you don't know where to start open the thing up and start reading shock horror god might actually have words jump off the page and jump inside your head if you're too lazy to do that at least try and hear when they're worshiping the word of the lord through the worship team People say, you guys just sing for an hour, you never even preach. I said, we've had four sermons in the blink and worship. What are you listening to? I've had to change my sermon sometimes after I've heard the blink and worship team. After I got it all wrong, God. He said, that's right, son, you missed it completely. So I'm frantically trying to hear from God because the worship are on the money. I've seen people dance in front of me going, oh my Lord, that's just opened up the heavens. I've just seen somebody that has just presented the gospel. I can see an artist get up there and paint something and go, open heaven. 
We restrict how God speaks to us because we are not having ears to hear or eyes to see or a heart attuned to know how God wants to talk to us. He, if you don't listen, he might have a donkey talk to you, mate. <laughs> Out of the mouths of babes. Shouldn't be coming that way. We should be able to actually get it directly from the Lord. You imagine if an entire church actually began to start to hear from God. Oh, dear Lord. The trouble is they might even find out the preacher's got issues. Well, if you keep them babies, they won't have a clue. If you train them into hearing and seeing and understanding God and his presence and knowing the Holy Spirit's there or not, that would be really helpful. The trouble is they may begin to discern that God's not here and we don't know it. We're supposed to be a well-watered spring, a garden of Eden. (laughs) We're supposed to have gone through the high fire and the fire gets rid of what the impurities and it can transform the vessel that we've got pure gold and silver. Everything else will be burnt up, won't it? Hay, straw and stubble. So what it does, the fire tests the the quality of the work, not the quantity. Many people are very busy working and they're driven. They're not led by the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be led by the Spirit, not driven. God is not a slave driver and doesn't drive us. Whenever I hear the word driven, I go, whoop, performance. Striving. No rest. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. Learn from me, I'm humble of spirit. The job isn't for you to serve me. My job, if I'm a leader, is to actually see you fly and learn everything I know so that you become mature. Where are we? No idea. How on earth can death bring anything good? Well, the Bible says unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, which is a seed, which is a word, it can't bear any fruit. (laughs) unless it dies how can God resurrect it resurrection power comes to that which is dead we make these wonderful slaves no longer I that live but Christ lives in me well are you dead or are you still alive and kicking is it your ministry your desire your plan how you're going to change the world how are you going to fix everyone do you realize you can't fix anybody you can't even fix yourself. <laughs> People say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disciple someone. I sometimes think, oh dear Lord. Let's just become a disciple of Christ. Paul said, hey, there's one father, the heavenly one. <laughs> follow me as I follow Christ, if, that, if I'm doing it. Learn from his ways, and the key is to ask the ancient pathways, the ways of men have been learnt of old, and how all of them were led, were led by the wilderness into the high fire and testing. They were abused, they were sold as slaves or thrown into pits. They basically had all hell broken loose at them so that Saul's would be knocked out of them, Pharaoh leadership would be knocked out of them, that they wouldn't do it to anybody else. And if you're a leader and you haven't got over the hurt from being wounded by a leader, you will never fulfill your destiny. All you do is hide in caves and duck spears. 
That's where most of the prophets and apostles that are right now, hiding in caves, ducking spears. Because most of the church kingdom is run by Saul's, who are trying to put their sons and daughters in place called Jonathan's. And there's so many yes-men prophets that suck up, it's sad. The king said, don't say something nice, tell me the word of the Lord. And the guy said, why should I? If I do, you'll throw me in a flipping pit, beat the living daylights out of me, and why would I? Tell me the truth. Okay, you're going to die. <laughs> Go on, mate, roadrunner. There he goes. So the king disguised himself, tried to make sure he doesn't get killed. Random arrow, well it wasn't random, takes him out. Many people don't realise the emperors have got no clothes on. And the ones that see it can't say it because you have no relationship to speak it. If you have no authority to change it, leave it alone and let God sort it out. He will bring his judgment, not you. And if they were once anointed, don't you dare touch them. David would never touch them. He left them alone. Oh, but look what they did. Leave them alone. One person said, why do you speak in that church? I said, my God, if I had to wait and figure out which church was right, I wouldn't speak in any of them. I said, well, they've got this, this, and that, and this, and that. And I said, well, yeah. And God said to me, he said, son, what do you see in that? And I said, well, there's some stuff that's not right, and there's a, some good in there. He said, um, is what these prophets telling you true? I said, yeah, there's some bitter springs, and the people are feeding off fouled water. And the Lord said to me, what do you think you are? I said, well, supposedly a well of living water and <laughs> revelation and truth and light. That was a bit scary saying that, but you know what I mean? <laughs> supposedly I'm a sweet fountain. He said, then, if you don't go in there and speak in that group, how will they be able to tell the difference if they've only ever drunk from a, a, a polluted fountain? So if you really have the heart, you'll actually go in and share the living waters so the people actually have something to compare with. So if you see the problem, are you going to be willing to be part of the solution or are you just going to sit outside and chuck stones at them? God wants us to build his house. He loves his church. He died for it. Oh, but the churches and the churches and the church. Well, you're going to say that until the cows come home. You've seen the problem. Why don't you ask God what the solution is? Otherwise, you become part of the problem. Though they slay me, he can still resurrect me. My name is Mud. Fabulous. I must decrease and he must increase. What's extraordinary is that we realize that light will shine in the darkness. So no matter how dark it gets, no matter how evil it looks, Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Neither life, death, principality, power, famine, sword, tribulation. Romans 8, isn't it? 
Therefore, if you know the love of God that surpasses knowledge, a love that literally abides in you because God's love, nothing can literally separate you from that. So you will not fear tribulation. You will not fear persecution. You will not fear anything. Because fear involves punishment. But perfect love casts out all fear. If you have a fear of death, then you are bound by it. (laughs) I can't wait to die. (laughs) But God won't let me. It's not my time. I'm sick of this world. I'm up to here. But I'm in the world, but not of it. And I'm certainly not here for my sake because I don't want to be in it. You must literally die to yourself, your own ambition, to all your arrogance and all your ministry and a whole pack of cards. I'm so sick of hearing people, what about my ministry? What am I going to do with my ministry? And what's my calling? When I grew up, there were men of God, and everyone was just a whole bunch of Indians and did nothing. Now we've got everyone wants their ministry, no, no Indians, and they want to all be chiefs. It's the pendulum has swung. Their own personal training, their own personal coaches, their own personal whatever. Just grow up. Well, where, where's this thing about us? It's interesting, God said, let us make man in our image. It's all about what God's called you to do, but what you're called to do is die, lay your life down and be a servant. Oh, dear Lord. That didn't sound very good. I was about to be the big boss sitting up there in the tower and having everyone serve me. And pay me to preach to them so I can fleece the flock. Because they're dumb. Where's the money supposed to come from? The unrighteous mammon from the world. The temple of Solomon was built, not with a, was built by who? Egyptians, stonemasons. Cedars from Lebanon, these are all the heathen, mate. They were so terrified of David that if he actually stopped building the house, he might actually come and conquer all the nations. (laughs) They were smart. Are you building this house or are you trying to build your own ministry? And are you building your ministry because you've been hurt by the house? You know, Jesus was smart enough to make sure you didn't get the whole pack of cards. How many know you're shortchanged? <laughs> You've got part of the puzzle. Some are prophets, some are apostles, some are evangelists, some are pastors, some are teachers. Has Jesus got all of them in him? Is he at unity with himself? 
Can he live with himself? Can his, can his prophetic age live with his teaching age, his pastoral age, his evangelist age, and his apostolic? Is Jesus okay in hanging out with himself? Could he possibly be the head of all this? So if he gave a bit of that puzzle to you, that means you can't represent the fullness of who Christ is without the other offices. Unless you think you're a little Jesus running around. And thank God none of you are. Well, then you become a pharaoh. God on earth in the mankind's form. If Jesus gave you a bit of the puzzle, that means you can only literally move together with others. That means you actually have to recognize someone else's gifting might be important. <laughs> You're supposed to prefer others in love. that they actually got something. Otherwise, all you have is uniformity. All the prophets get together, an Old Testament, school of the prophets. All the evangelists get together, school of the evangelists. All the teachers get together, school of teachers. That's not unity, that's uniformity. Can somehow we work together as living vessels, every one of us bringing part of the mystery? If you think you can disciple someone to maturity, you can't by yourself. Oh, I've got my Timothys. I'm discipling them. Excuse me, you cannot form a person into a mature person in Christ by yourself. They need pastoral people to help pass them. They need teachers to make sure they don't go into Looney Tune land. They need, a, they need prophets to call the fire down, open the heavens, and bring revelation. And they need evangelists for them to actually get the heart for the lost. And they need apostles to help hold the crazy pack of cards called the other four together without ever them killing each other. <laughs> but what we got is uniformity. We're individual vessels that carry the manifest presence of God. It's about you, but it's how do you work together in true unity and diversity. The only way that you'll actually have any impact against the kingdom of darkness isn't you and your prophetic ministry poking the eyes of the devil with your finger. <laughs> How can all those actually work together as one and have a knockout blow? And if the apostle thinks he's the head boss and the big man, he's going to do this to the others, he's going to have a club hand. He won't let them fly any higher than him. Why? Because he wants to be the boss. He's a new kid on the top of the pyramid structure. Who's supposed to be head of the church? You mean not the apostle? Surely he's the most, he's first, isn't he? But the first shall be last, the greatest shall be least. Does ever, God ever say the apostle is supposed to be the head of the church? No. Who's supposed to be second in charge after Jesus? Holy Spirit. Who are supposed to be players on his team? Us. <laughs> How many of you want to be captains? 
None of you now, thank God. (laughs) And have your team. It's not your team. We're players in his team. Why would Jesus get 12 apostles and shove them together and actually try to get them to work together? Imagine putting 12 alpha males together and saying, let's see if we can work together. How many know it's hard enough if two of them turn up on the patch? (laughs) That's why I have lionesses there to wrestle them to the ground, mate. That's why God gets them married, knock a few rough edges off them. That's why they call, they put prophets and marry the apostles so they can actually uh, sort them out. Anyhow, what are we talking about? (laughs) The head. The head. Christ is the head. What's fascinating too is that the head can get in the way too because if the mind is running the church, the Bible says that the revelation is coming from the heart. Paul said, I pray the eyes of your heart will be open to the revelation, the mystery of Christ. Why would God talk about the heart? Because we're supposed to renew our mind, but how many know that the words that come out of our mouth don't come from our head? Scriptures say out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Watch over your heart with all diligence from out of the heart comes the wellspring of So if we're drawing from the wellspring of life, where are we drawing it from? The heart. What was the greatest commandment? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. How many of the Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked? Only the Spirit of God can search that. Create in me a? When you and me a right spirit. Let me have a pure heart. The pure in heart shall see God. How would you like to see God? And have a revelation directly from him. How would you like to meet him? Who is the word of God made flesh. Scriptures say they search the scriptures thinking that in them is eternal life. But Jesus said they failed to come to me who is life. So the Pharisees knew the word. They stuck it on their head. They could recite the word. But when the person of the word in flesh walked past, they couldn't see him. So the word without revelation cannot meet Jesus. In fact, the word is a sword. So you can use the word like a sword instead of healing, it can kill. So Jesus had his greatest enemies from those who knew the word. Sadducees, scribes and Sanhedrin and the Pharisees. That's why Jesus had to knock one of the eminent Pharisees off his horse, blind him by the light and give him revelation. He said, I didn't come to know the Lord through the teachings of man. I came in by a revelation of Christ. What was a revelation? Blinded by the light. He saw a resurrected, glorified Savior on the road to Damascus. So God can get to you in spite of your pharisaical, religious, legalistic knowledge of the word. So you can recite the word, you can proclaim the word, but the word can actually be useless to you and to help you not at all. People say, impossible. The word of God will not return void. Well, then read the parable of the sower. 
That just blows that theology out the window. The word shall not return void. Excuse me, what does the parable of the sower say? The sower went out and sowed the and the seed was the word. Are you listening to me or are you stuck in some weird doctrine? The word was sown. And what did the guy do? He sowed it by the side of the... Did that return void? What happened? The birds ate it. The devil stole it. That means the word right there returned void. So a lot of people say, well, I'm preached the word, brother, and it won't return void. Yes, it will. Yes, it did. The word was sown amongst the thorns. Choked. Amongst the rocks. When persecution came, they fell away. So three quarters of the word that was sown bore no fruit. But it was sown amongst the good soil for 150, 30-fold. So what's the mystery of that? The word's good. What do we must have to do? We are God's field. It says, break up your fellow ground, remove the stony heart, repent of your sin, allow the Lord to get to the root of your issues. The axe is laid at the root. So before a farmer sows seed, he must first remove the rubbish. When you got saved, did you have a fair amount of rubbish? <laughs> did you have a bunch of bad trees with a bunch of bad fruit? What happened if you just removed the fruit? Next season, the fruit will be there. What happened if you prune the, prune the mad trees, you'll get a bigger crop in two or three years' time? What if you hacked the thing down at ground level and left the stump and the roots in there? What could happen in 10 years' time? Could that bad tree you thought you dealt with by chopping it down with your Husqvarna or your... You're still... You ended up with what? A bad tree. Why did Jesus say, uh-uh, not prune it, don't chop it down at, at, at ground level. The axe is laid at the... How I many know that could take a while to find out what the root is? How I many know a little seed bore bad fruit, but it didn't happen overnight? How I many know we've fed it, we've watered it for many years, and we didn't just suddenly end up with a whole bad bunch of bad fruit? So first thing we ought to do is try and clear the patch. How I many know that could take a while? That's called deep repentance, godly sorrow. And getting down there in the roots. Do you realize that in a lot of these places, the seed is still in the soil? Even though you've got rid of the plants, even though you've rooted it all out, guess what the farmer does then? He harrows it. Why? Because he knows full well that that seed that's in there that's bad will still germinate. So he has to let that thing germinate and then harrow it and expose it to the sun and kill it. The more times he harrows it, the more time he exposes it, the more time... And the preparation of the soil is the farmer's work. Putting the seed in is the last and the easiest part of it. And unfortunately, even when you've done all of that, you've harrowed, you've dissed, you've rooted it out, you've taken the rocks and built fences, the bad stuff's still in there. How many figured that out? (laughs) 
How many know you spend a lot of time weeding? How many know that weeds grow quicker than the good stuff? How many wish it was the other way? And how many know some of it looks like the real stuff, but it's fake? How would you like to be fruitful and bear fruit? How would you like to be a well-watered garden? How would you like to be planted by the living waters? How many know that bad seeds germinate with good water? How many know bad seeds germinate with sunlight? How many know some seeds are very dormant? You'll know them by their fruit. Well, you're not going to bear any fruit because when the seed's on, it takes years before that thing grows into anything that looks like good fruit. So cut some slack on someone who's just come to the Lord. Oh, look at their fruit. They're still smoking and drinking and curse. Excuse me, they just got saved. These people have got no walls, no doors. They're an open mess. They've got the enemy in and out. They're like Nehemiah. They found that the entire thing was gone. And if you don't have any mercy and compassion, you won't be able to help rebuild their walls. First thing is to try and get the altar of worship going again. Then stand there with a sword and a shield and try and put some bricks up because the enemy will try and take them out. And if you have no idea how you've worked through your own issues, you won't be able to help anyone else. And when the Pandora's box of repentance and godly sorrow actually has worked through your life, you might actually be able to lead someone. But if you don't have an answer for your own bondage, how on earth can you set anyone else free? And what we end up doing is judging them. We put a whitewash of religion over top of all our stuff and we stand there looking holy. But when the revival fire comes, it opens up the can of worms. Self-control wants to stuff it all down and put the front up. True repentance wants to say, I boast of my weakness at the power of Christ. I'm not just saying that I'm defeated. I'm actually bringing it into the light that it might become light. I'm allowing God to put the axe to the root that I might be set free. I'm allowing him, when he reforms the clay of that broken vessel, to go deep and make sure he gets every bit out. Because the gifts and calling are without repentance. In other words, you can operate in your anointing and power and gifting without repenting. That's why numbers of anointed vessels blow up because they've never allowed God to sort that stuff out when there are nobodies. The real test is when you're a nobody, not when you're a somebody. And you better stay humble and you better say, I literally have still got weakness. If, you t- if someone tells you that they're completely fixed, they're liars. They are liars. Let's just find out if we got any. How many here are completely sorted? <laughs> I see that hand. No, he scratched under his armpit. <laughs> One of the ribs that were taken out. She's perfect, I'm not. If you abdicate your leadership role, you're going to become an Ahab. And if you won't let your man make mistakes, you'll become a Jezebel. 
If you're going to mother him, stop now. He had a mother. Do you want to be his mother? (laughs) Then leave him alone. You want a man? Let him grow. Stop trying to fix him. Leave him alone. Submit to him. Oh my God, you must be joking. Sarah did to Abraham and Abraham said that's my sister you sick sick puppy <laughs> that's your wife Jack she must have looked at him and gone what not your sister but she shut up and here's the king about to bed her and God says you touch her you're dead why she's married I never knew that And he did it twice. (laughs) How'd you like to be married of the father of faith? How'd you like to be married to that kind of gutless wonder? Anyhow, I don't know what I'm doing. I didn't even get home to get any notes, so that's why you get in the free-for-all here. (laughs) Jeremiah, God said, For my people have committed two sins, two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Well, that's an interesting statement. They have hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can't hold water. Do you realize that each one of you got to dig your own well? Stop drinking out of someone else's well. Dig your own I mean, God leads you into the wilderness. Speak to the rock. Don't hit it. Because <laughs> water will come out of the rock. And when you do start leading, don't get angry with the people because God will remove you. God leads you into the wilderness to get water out of a rock and manna from heaven. So that you no longer trust in anything but him. He leads you in there so you can't get out. You can rebuke. You can do spiritual warfare. You can, you can try and retrace your steps. But you can't get out of that. And you've got to die in there. Or actually get the revelation that he is in the wilderness with you. You will go in full of the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. You will not come out in the power of the Spirit until you come through the test. Most people say, I am one of moving the power. Then you go into the wilderness. Jesus went in there. As he came out, he came out in the power. Do you realize that Christianity is a very lonely walk? At the end of the day, it's you and Jesus. No one else. So therefore, who has your heart? Your husband, your kids, church, your ministry, your cat, your dog. Who's got your heart? Your car? Who's got your heart? What's got your heart? Because where your treasure is is where your heart is. What happens when that's been taken? Does your grandmother have it? 
Your auntie, a friend, who has your heart? Where's the safest place to put your whole heart? If you love someone, you give them your heart. Who are we supposed to have given it to? How many hearts do you have? If your heart's in his hands, how many know that he can protect it? How many know he can heal it? And if he's the source of living waters, you'll come into the fountain. Because out of the throne of God comes a river of living water. And he's seated upon the throne. He's the king of kings. So if you give your heart to him, what does he give to you? His heart to you. If you have his heart, you start seeing as he sees. You see what's important in this world. Does that make sense? And then what does he do? If you give a heart to someone you love, what do you expect back from the person? Their love. Who is God? God is? We love because he first. Therefore, when you give your heart to him, he's going to inundate you with pure, unadulterated, holy, no strings attached, no manipulation, no control, love. What's it going to do to you? You're going to bawl your eyes out. (laughs) And the most hardened man will melt and look like a sissy, pussy, whatever. I don't care what you call it. I almost said the wrong things. But anyhow, you are literally going to melt like wax because his love will literally take the hardest man and melt his heart. How'd you like to be married to a man who loves God more than you? You're second in line, dear. You're my first love. How many know the fear of the Lord then should keep that man from walking in holiness, truth, and purity in the fear of the Lord? And if the Lord has that man's heart, what will God do? He will refather him, he'll reparent him, he will instruct him in the ways, he'll mature him, he will love him back to life, and his vessel will be overflowing with living waters. He'll be a fountain of living waters because out of your heart will come wellsprings of life. Who's the source of that life? The Lord. When I stood before him when I was dead but alive, (laughs) in my spiritual body, out of my physical body, he poured unconditional, unadulterated, no strings attached, pure love. I could feel it physically coming up to my ankles, to my knees, up to my chest, and literally up to my head, and overflowed. And as I found that overflow, over my eyes, I was encased in liquid love. How many of you were supposed to be changed from glory to glory? How many know we're supposed to be filled to overflowing out of innermost being will come rivers? Well, most of us have got are trickles. We don't have rivers because our hearts divided. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. How many dumb women have given their hearts to a man? How many know that they've kicked it around, cut it to pieces and thrown them back in your face at times? And then they spend years singing about, you broke my heart. 
I've turned my heart to the dog named Blue in my pickup truck. <laughs> All the country and western boys <laughs> driving my Chevy down the road with my dog named Blue because that girl broke my heart. <laughs> country and western. That's Western, whatever, who cares? <laughs> Line dancing along here, you know. Shania. Anyhow, so here I am, mate. Twain. Here I am. I'm thinking to myself, I have given my heart to people. I've given my heart to animals. How many know animals die? How many know people die? How many know people break your heart, deny you, leave you, and forsake you? And all the above. So what does the Lord do? Give it to me. <laughs> Overflow with the radiance and manifest presence of his wellsprings of, of life because you're drawing from the source. You're coming to it. That's why the Bible says the spirit and the bride say, come and drink from the rivers of living water, the river of life. Who's he talking to? The spirit and the bride. Are you part of the bride of Christ? Not sure, maybe, not, it could be. If you are, then you have access right now to open heaven. Where's Jesus seated? In the throne room. Where should you be accessing? Where Jesus is in the heavenly realm. Jesus will rent open the heavens and come down and walk amongst us. But he also wants his children to come into the Holy of Holies and see him face to face. And so there's two aspects of open heaven. One, God coming down. Two, you being caught up in the Spirit. Both are important. Knock and the door should be opened. The keys of the kingdom of heaven are given to open up the kingdom of heaven. When does eternal life start? Now, will you die physically, but you will never die, you have eternal life. So eternal life doesn't start when you die, eternal life started the moment you got saved. Are you living in eternal life for eternity or are you still living for this earth? Do you see through the eyes of eternity or do you see through the eyes of your temporal mindset on, you're so locked onto the world that you love the world more than you actually love the kingdom of heaven? Where is your home? If your home's here, you will spend most of your time trying to build your home here. If your home is not here, and I'm so Julian and passing through, I'm trying to build what? His. And if he's not going to establish the kingdom here, other than people's lives, then Jesus only came to save souls. He never came to change the world. Why would he when he can make a new one? <laughs> Why would you want to fix something like this? When he come to you, he say, I'll give you, I'll make you all, you're new, you're a new new creature is he able to do that did jesus speak in the world's coming existence do you think he's actually already spoken the new heavens and new earth into existence yep two thousand years ago one of his apostles was caught up and saw it i saw a new heaven and a new earth if you think he's going to establish it here then you'll be trying to fix this planet then you better have a theology that fits with that then you're going to be doing spiritual warfare against principalities and powers that are ruling over all the mountains of the world, and you're going to have to try and reclaim them. Good luck. Complete waste of time. 
And I am a voice in the wilderness saying this against the bulk of Christendom teaching right now. I'm sick of heresy. I'm sick of the lies. It's not going to be built here. Because Jesus made a wonderful statement, my kingdom is not of this world. Here we are. You can get rid of kingdom now theology. My kingdom is not of this world. The only kingdom he wants to establish is save your soul and bring it through. If you think you're going to save Hollywood, the stock market, education, the entire health food system and all forms of society and become leaders of that, tell me when you've done it. You're going to have to do a lot with Matthew 24, Luke 17 and half the book of Revelation. If you think you're going to terraform it by actually speaking into existence and using that fire as a a forerunner and a minister of fire that you're going to actually speak and terraform this earth to become the new earth, you'll be shocked. My Bible tells me in Revelation 21, the Apostle Paul, John said, "Um, the old earth and the old heaven had passed away. He said, let's rerun that. (laughs) The old earth, (laughs) the old heaven had passed away. And behold, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And the new Jerusalem was coming down from the new heaven. I wonder what earth it's coming down onto. If the old one's gone, where do you think it might be coming down onto? How many have been to the old Jerusalem? How many can't wait for the new one? So God says that the new Jerusalem is the bride of Christ. Do you realize that most of the bride of Christ is already in heaven? You're going, you what? Are the 12 apostles in the book of Revelations part of the bride of Christ in New Jerusalem? Is Jacob, Isaac, are they part of the bride of Christ? Are the Jews, the root, actually part of the bride of Christ? Are we grafted in as Gentiles? That means we've got 6,000 years of God preparing his bride. That means most of them are already up there. Because the bride's coming out of the new heavens, isn't it? So we ain't coming to rapture away a bride. The bride's already there. How many know that if there's a remnant of us left, how many know if it's Luke 24 and that it's apostate, it's mucked up, it's like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, the days of Noah, then there will be a handful of people in the last days that will actually make up the number of the bride. He judges it with water, first judgment. How's he going to judgment? With fire. Was water literal? Do you think the fire could be literal? Do you realize physicists can't understand really what holds the earth together? You know who holds the earth together? What happens if he removes his presence? It combusts. He holds all things together. Power of his word. When he removes his presence, are we to be afraid of God consuming the entire earth and everything with fire. No. Our Christians to welcome the fire. Yeah, send the fire today. Refining fire, purifying fire, full as fire. God wants us to go through the fire to become pure gold and silver. Are we afraid of the fire? No, the fire only burns up the bonds that hold us, Shadrach, Reshach, and Abednego. And the fire of God is the manifest presence. 
Who's to be afraid of the fire? The demons. Why should they be afraid of the fire? Because God judged them with fire. Didn't he? How did God judge Lucifer? Come on, this shouldn't be. This should be ABC Christianity. Ezekiel 28, Lucifer was an anointed cherub who walks in the midst of the stones of fire. Where were the stones of fire? Around the throne of God. Daniel 7 tells us there's a river of fire coming from the throne. God sits upon a throne of fire. So who's the all-consuming fire? He is. Jesus' eyes are a flame of fire, which means what? Eyes are the windows of your soul. That means Jesus' soul is on fire. So who's the author of fire? Lucifer or God? God. You got, you're going to get this. He led the children of Israel by a pillar of fire. When he judged Sodom and Gomorrah, what came from heaven? And brimstone. Oh, okay. So we're talking fire and brimstone comes from where? Heaven, not from hell. Fire and brimstone came from where? Heaven. Where did the chariots of fire come from? Heaven. Where did it come from? Heaven. So if fire and brimstone come from heaven, what's around the throne? Stones of fire. The throne is a throne of fire. And beneath the throne is a river of fire. What does fire do? Purify. Isaiah came up and said, I'm a man of unclean lips. They took what? Coals of fire from the altar. That means the altar's on fire. And touched his lips. And said, holy, holy, holy. So fire talks about holy, holy, holy. Have you got this? Pure white hot fire goes into pure white light. So here it says that Lucifer used to shine the glory of God around the heavens. He walked in the midst of the stones of fire, and then it says his beauty corrupted him. And what did he do? God said, I have destroyed you from the midst of the stones of fire from the throne. I took fire in verse 18. I brought fire from the midst of you and consumed you to ash. So what did God do to Lucifer's beautiful, angelic, extremely wonderful body? You're so vain. Did Lucifer then completely and absolutely non-exist? No. What did God deal with? What he trusted in. So he destroyed his angelic, cherub-like body. What did he do with a third of the angels? Fire. And the angels cast them out of heaven. So what are they now called? 
demons. That's why we are told in the Bible, in Ephesians, we do not fight against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities and powers of darkness in heavenly places. So that means these once angels, once warrior angels, guardian angels, ministering angels in all different levels were cast out of the heavenly realm and a third of them were cast down onto earth. That means they have no physical form. So what are they looking for? A host. So in the Garden of Eden, what did Eve see and Adam see when they turned in the garden, what did they see? I didn't see a snake. They'd already named a snake. They named all the animals. That wasn't a snake. It was one like a serpent. What they saw was a spiritual being of darkness because the angels, remember angels can be literally, mis, mis, they could, is that an angel? <laughs> How many have entertained angels unannounced? In other words, angels can look like humans. Remember Gabriel came? Remember, remember when um, Joshua came up to take Jericho? Who are you? I'm the captain of the Lord of hosts. He just thought it was another man. So we can entertain angels unannounced. Do angels have physical form? Yes. Is that Peter's angels knocking the door? So these things, the angels, the two-thirds of them, have form. They have flesh and blood. But they're not created as sons of God. They are created beings. Only we were created in the image of God. Angels were never created to be sons of God. So when you get all this Nephilim teaching, you better make sure you get your theology right. They were never sons of God. We are created in the image of God. Angels were never created in the image of God. They were created to serve and never, ever created to be in the image of God. Some crazy stuff out there, mate. So here we got fallen angels on the earth, and in the garden is who? Lucifer, a spiritual being of darkness with slit eyes like a serpent. No physical form hiding in the shadows. When I died... And back into my body, like you heard this, this morning, what happened? Seven demons, looking just like that, were standing at my window saying, we're coming home, you're ours. So I saw what I believe Adam and Eve saw in the Garden of Eden, one of the fallen angels, except I had seven of them. I saw them in their spiritual form. Same shape as a human, but instead of a pupil like a human, slit like a serpent. Not a cat, not a crocodile, a serpent like you've never seen before. And when they looked into my spirit, <laughs> they said, you are ours and we are coming home. How would you like to think some of those boys were ruling your life? How many of you ever feel, felt like you have been um, <laughs> possessed or <laughs> uh, oppressed? How many felt at least oppressed? Oh, maybe not possessed. How many wonder some days, are there any left? Come on. So these invisible spiritual beings are trying to do what? Rob, kill and destroy. Influence. Try and come and take over. Control and kill God's sons and daughters. Can angels have sex amongst themselves and create baby angels? We have no reference to it. That means they are neuter 
gen- they have no, we have no reference to female angels, so we have no reference to them being able to produce little cupids. So they're eunuch angels. So then how could they have sex with man? How many have heard that they reproduce after their own kind? So we can't be looking around thinking, are you half the seed of Satan and half human? That teaching is in cuckoo land right now, across the body of Christ. Cuckoo land. When I look at you, I'm not going, where's my Nephilim detector? Oh, but they've terraformed, they've transformed themselves to look like us. They're no longer giants. Haven't heard all this stuff. Come on, you must have been listening to the internet and some of the stupidity that's been spoken. So when I look at you, do I'm going, are you half Nephilim? Are you predestined to go to hell because you're actually the seed of Satan? Or are you the son and daughter of the Most High God? Every one of them are human beings. God wishes that none of you would perish and all of you can be saved. <laughs> I believe you're all great image of God. None of you are fallen angels. None of you are half Satan, half human. You're not the spawn of, of, of Lucifer. You are human beings, create the image of God, who God wants to save. Otherwise, God would have made a way to try and figure out how he can set free the poor girls who got tricked into thinking that those things were men when they had sex with them. Because God wishes none would perish. All to come to repentance. He provided blood to cleanse every single person who has who created in his image to be saved. How the heck did I get on to all that? Because I haven't got any notes and you've got the whole pack of cards. I've got that off my chest. What would you like to ask? <laughs> well, there are giants. There are, there, there's a bunch of Christian, Christian scientists who will tell you and talk about it, how the earth had its own canopy and People were a lot bigger than la, 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 and they were breathing oxygen. Some people sit in oxygen tents trying to get like them. I mean, there's a ton of different theologies on why mankind was bigger than he is now, and there were giants in the land. But if you think every tall man is a Nephilim, you're in trouble there too. (laughs) And if God ended up drowning them all in the flood and only brought eight people out... How the heck did they survive the flood? If he judged the world because of that, how could they survive the flood? I mean, there's a million and one whacked out teachings out there, but anyhow, I'm dumb enough to put my head on the block and say it's rubbish. And the sons of God are talking about the sons of Seth, the sons of the godly lineage, having sons with the sons of Cain. And that's from rabbis. What I began to realize is that I saw a lot of Christians talking about this and they're not had it by revelation. I was then finding a medium said, oh, you've got to have a quiet time. I thought, what's that? I said, well, you're supposed to do this, pray this, read that, sit there for an hour. Well, I used to fall asleep. Prayer list about a mile long. 
I said, and I actually lost the presence of God. I said, what is it? He said, Ian, I'm a person. You're supposed to talk to me. <laughs> and you're supposed to listen. How many wives would be happy if the husband shut up and they'd just actually let them talk? Wouldn't God be quite interested if you shut up with your two hours of prayer list and actually shut up long enough to listen to him? How many might that be revolutionary if he actually could get an edge in? Have you finished? Yeah, I'm going now. I've done my quiet time. I've read the word. I've prayed for every person under the sun, done spiritual warfare over the entire nation, and I'm bringing down revival. I'm opening up the heavens and digging the wells. Now, I've done that. I'm going. See you later. God said, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. So as we wait in the doorpost and listen to him, faith comes by hearing. How do you think you're going to grow in faith if you don't hear him? You can read the word until you're blue in the face and give you no faith. It's the rhema word, not uh, the logos. Faith coming by hearing is the, is the rhema. But don't think proclaiming the Logos is rhema. You can proclaim, name and claim, blab and grab the word, which is Logos, and it'll actually have no faith attached, attached with it. And then you'll have a doctrine, you have a faith in your doctrine of faith. That's even worse. I've got people who've got faith in a doctrine of their teaching on the word. Not faith in the person. They actually don't know him. They know about him, but they know a doctrine. They have faith in faith, which is a mystical thing because you can't have faith. You have faith in the person. (laughs) You need to know this, but I realized I'd met him. When I died, I didn't see a Bible. Nowhere near, nowhere. I saw the Word of God made flesh and beheld His glory. Who talks, who loves, who relates, who comprehends, who unravels mysteries, brings visions, open heaven, and allows me to come into His arms. He is a living person who is a father, not because I've read it, but he is a father who's held me in his arms. I've stood there and watched him walk into me. Hidden in Christ, Christ in me. I don't know, it's in here somewhere. <laughs> Futures we win and get to heaven. And the world goes to the lake of fire. Dead right. The future and the hope is in him. If you gain the whole world, forfeit your soul. So I literally go, I'm not interested in the world. Where do you store your riches? In heaven. But you're not working for the riches. That's a byproduct of your walk with Christ. If you're trying to earn brownie points and trying to store little treasures up there, then you're striving to perform. Look how many people I got saved. Look how many people I prayed for. Look how many people I healed. You've just lost the whole lot because the motivation of your heart had nothing to do with glorifying Christ. Look at the picture of me next to the person I healed. 
excuse me, the Bible actually says we must decrease and him increase and all the glory should go to him. Oh, but they'll have faith by telling how I prayed. No, they won't. They'll end up saying, send the money to support my ministry because I'm the miracle healing man. The righteous will live by faith. Your job is to serve the body of Christ to bring it to maturity. You're supposed to be like a Levite and live from free will offerings from the body. But God's not just interested in motivating full-time Levites. He wants to live in other tribes totally activated because the 12 tribes are on the actual epoch. So you have apostles in the marketplace, prophets in the marketplace, but they aren't supposed to just sit in the marketplace. They're supposed to be on your governance in your house, in the church. It's called elders. The whole 12 tribes are supposed to be working not just the Levites. We've got two models. <laughs> Only full-time Levites, paid professionals run the church, or we have people who are all working in the workforce, no full-time, and we're basically running it as an eldership without any full-time Levite. Both models are wrong. If you're an apostle, you should be able to fluidly move between the workplace and ministry. So it's form and glory. And you did talk about how you, in service form, you kind of like looking to think about the universe. That's right. Can you talk a little more about that? Yeah. See, I'd heard of Jesus being the Son of Man. I'd only ever seen Jesus as a man with brown hair who died 2,000 years ago, a historic human being. No concept that he was God. So the debate has gone on for centuries in the, ch- in the church. Is he God or is he man? <laughs> He's fully God who took on the form of man. That's what my Bible tells me. He was never not God. So it says, when John saw him, he said, I saw his face shine like the sun in full strength. I saw that, but I looked into his face and thought, that is the face of God. There is eternity within eternity in him. Then when I read later that he spoke and the world's come to existence, I began to realize that in his countenance is actually the fullness of eternity. When I walked into that cloud of radiance, it wasn't just veils of, uh, of um, light. When I walked in, it looked like miniature stars. It looked like I'd walked into a realm where the cosmos was surrounding him. So I've seen Christians talk about how small we are in comparison to the size of the universe. I walked into that realm and literally saw how small the stars were in comparison to me as the Son of God. If I'm creating the image of God, and God holds the universe in the palm of his hands and uses the earth as a footstool, when we actually realize who we are as sons of God... How many know if you move out of your physical realm into the supernatural realm, we are in the same dimension and size as God. We're sons and daughters. So I walked into a realm where this, these were like stars that were literally looking small, and that wasn't just physical. They were actually going into my spirit and healing my broken heart. That's why Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to heal the broken hearts. 
I then realized what I was doing is walking into a realm which was called the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, remember, moved over the earth. The Holy Spirit, remember, gives off love, peace, joy. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Son. So that veil, which the Jews called the out of courts or the glory realm, was actually the Holy Spirit preparing you to come into the Holy of Holies. So when you receive the joy, the love, the peace, that's still the fruit of the Spirit. So all you're doing is being prepared by God to actually meet His Son face to face. In fact, when they went through the veil, the high priest, they, when they came into the Holy of Holies, and that's when I felt purity and holiness, only Jesus will impart purity and holiness to you, not a man. Face-to-face encounter with Christ will be holy because he's holy. As that was imparted, the high priest in Ezekiel, when they came out of the Holy of Holies, had to take their robes off so that the holiness that had been imparted to them would not be transferred to the people. So not one of us can transfer holiness and purity to anyone. So the only way that God's going to prepare you to be a holy, pure bride is for you to learn how, through scriptures and through the knowledge of the word, to enter in within the veil personally and meet face-to-face with Jesus. And what Jesus has done, he's revealed himself to apostles of people who have seen Christ. That's the differentiation. Not that they're sent ones, everyone's sent. We're all sent. That's the Great Commission. But the differentiation between an apostle and, and is that they have had a direct encounter with the Savior, face-to-face. And he's often done that when they're not even looking for it. <laughs> and half of them are rat bags. Because he's getting them. He chooses them. You didn't choose them. No preacher formed them. No one laid hands and prophesied over them. They were given in the mother's womb. They were formed. Prophets were formed by God. Apostles, the fivefold, were formed by God. These are people gifts to the nations of the world. Any questions? Hard to see. Because I felt the first one hit me, didn't see it. Second one I saw hit me. Third one I had to protect my face. Fourth one when I came up to the reef. And the fifth one when they dragged me into the boat. Three of them I didn't see, but I felt. There's like a thousand volts of electricity. The Creoles call it um, invisible, invisible. They said, Où est la surfe? Pas bon, c'est fini. Allez, allez, vitamin. There's the Yapis flipping honeymoon island. That's where they were. All the, all the South Africans holidayed there. That was the honeymoon island for South Africans. But because I had blonde hair, they thought I was Afrikaans. Brubon boy. But that's the whole thing. They looked at me, and I hung out with the Creoles, and those guys taught me how to night dive. These guys knew this thing. I said to them, how come the Mauritian government doesn't tell anyone? He said, oh, because it's tourism. They want to paint it as the perfect island. I interviewed them on my website. I put some interviews up. Oh, how come they can't talk about that? (laughs) It happened for Australia for many years. The box jellyfish killing up in Queensland... 
many, many years people died until they eventually had to admit that the Tourism Department of Australia had to admit that there were box jellyfish killing people. That nearly, that nearly crippled tourism up on, the Gold, up on the Queensland coast. Remember Jaws movie came out? Do you realise Hawaii nearly went bankrupt? Because all Americans thought they were going to get eaten by great whites. And when Jaws 3 came out, they had to literally pay fishermen to exterminate the sharks around the Hawaiian Islands to try attract the American tourists back. So if you've got an entire economy based on tourism, you don't want people to be thinking they might be eaten, killed. <laughs> Tiger shark, stonefish. Box jellyfish. I just thank God that God allowed that to happen. In those years, I was just selling a thousand rolls of Durban poisons, you know what I mean? That was my world. Thank God I got saved. I came back, my hair was down to here, I was walking around with a hippie bag, it used to be full of dope, and I'd stuffed a Bible in it. (laughs) I thought I was still dealing. (laughs) I said, here it is, smoke on this. So we just preached our heart out. We had meetings in those years where angels were turning up and singing in those meetings. I came at the tail end of the move of the Holy Ghost. The prayer meetings were full of people, archipelago, worshipping God, and we could hear angels singing with us. I was in meetings when the Holy Spirit would come into a room and a thousand people would be slain in the Spirit. No one touched them. There were fire tunnels. There was anointing. There was power like I've never seen before. I, I was walk, walked into one meeting and I got slain in the Spirit and literally, bam, next minute I saw the heavens open up and next minute God had me step out of my body and step into the new heavens. I then walked from where I'd stood at the door and looked in and seen the fields and the grass. I walked through and could see the river of life. I walked down to it and here was Jesus lying by the river of life, beckoned me to put my head against his chest and then he reached into the water, lifted up water to my lips to allow me drink. I had not even read the spirit and the bride say, come and drink of the rivers of living water. Next minute, I've got something going, Shandalalaba, Shalomaba. And I woke up back in my body and I got some Pentecostal screaming tongues over me. <laughs> and they said, What's just happened? I said, I think I've just been to heaven, laid at the river of life on the chest of Christ, and actually had living waters given to me by the Lord Himself. <laughs> Come out, you new age spirit. Oh, I mean, they thought I was astral projecting. I said, no, no, I did that stuff as a non-Christian. So then I realized, oh my gosh, I can't share this very publicly. And about 30 years later, people like Heidi Baker and some of these people started talking about it. I thought, oh, maybe I can talk about it too. (laughs) But you get killed. I talk about it on the internet. I get absolutely obliterated. So sometimes just pull it down and shut up and say nothing. But God wants us to access the throne room. Have you as a believer access to come into the Holy of Holies? Where is it? Is it in this world or not of this world? (laughs) When do you access the throne room in the Holy of Holies and come boldly into the throne of grace? When you die or now?
Does every believer have access to meet Jesus on the throne through the blood of Christ because the veil's been torn? So what's stopping you? Your theology? What's stopping you from you meeting Jesus? Your hunger? What's stopping you? The job isn't just for a few select people to do that. Then you lift up the apostle and prophet and make them higher than everyone else, which some preachers are saying. That they are heavenly minded, the rest of you are earthly minded, we're just going to bring down the mysteries of heaven and tell you. Woo, 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 woo. How about the priesthood of all believers that every one of us have access into the Holy of Holies through the priesthood of Melchizedek? We're a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Can every one of you, no matter whether you have an office, as a believer you should have access to meet Christ in the throne room? Otherwise you elevate two of the fivefold and say they are the only ones who access heaven. The rest of us are earthly minded, therefore not much use. We need to come to the apostles and prophets to figure out how to do it. Then you have even more control because they become the top of the pile again. And they demean the other fivefold and literally say that they are earthly minded. Heresy. Is Jesus a teacher? Is he in heaven? Is he heavenly minded? Have you met teachers that can open the word up that blow your brain and wonder if you've ever read your Bible before in your entire life? (laughs) I've met them, I think, what am I dribbling on about? How many have met pastors who can't lead anyone to the Lord, hardly ever move in signs and wonders, but they literally heal broken hearts, bring the Father heart of God and minister people who are absolutely shattered and bring them through into the knowledge of the healing heart of Christ? Are they, which is more important, the signs and wonders or the heart that's healed? Which is greater? Signs and wonders don't mean they become disciples. How many lepers were healed and actually followed Christ? One didn't even follow him, he just thanked them. After three years of ministry, how many thousands of people were still following Jesus? 120. And he appointed 84 of them, so only actually had 36 join him. 12 a year. Did Jesus camp around the signs and wonders? No, he walked away, he walked away from them. Because if not, we would have camped around the pool of Siloam and made it a healing ministry. We would have camped around the Gazarene and had a deliverance ministry. Or we would have camped around the feeding the 5,000. We'd have had the fish and loaves ministry. Or we'd have gone up onto the Mount Tragus Figuration and said, we've got the Shekinah Glory Open Heaven ministry. <laughs> How many know they're all out there? So if you don't camp around one of the offices, you end up camping around a sign. But what did Jesus say? Signs and wonders follow you. You don't follow them. You get what you pursue. He said, follow me. And signs and wonders will follow you. Don't rejoice that those things happen because unless their hearts are changed, they may not become disciples of Christ. You can heal a man's physical body, seeing the blind open, I've seen, it, I've seen the lame walk and the deaf ears opened and they still don't follow Jesus. Because until the heart's changed, you're wasting your time.
but God still heals them. And some people come to Jesus to have their need met. Jesus meets their needs with a sign, wonder, and miracle. But if they don't actually give their heart to him, literally, the sign, wonder, and miracle does not bring them to Christ. Have you ever followed up after a crusade when you've seen truckloads of wheelchairs, truckloads of crutches, and then actually try to follow them up? I mean, getting them saved is about 5% of the entire job. Making them disciples. Because I've, I've gone on there, healed, miracles, taken place. And then when you follow them up, they've just taken Jesus, stamped them on, got a picture of them, shoved them on the wall, Sai Baba's on the top when you walk through the door, and then you've got Ghani, Shiva, and Vishnu. He's the healing God. They came to get healed, they got healed. Have they made Jesus Lord of Lords and King of Kings? No. That requires discipleship. That's right. Thy kingdom come. Okay, so thy kingdom, what is the will of God? The will of God is that none would perish. The will of God is that he's come, the fields and wine for harvest. The will of God is that each one of us could respond to him and come to heaven. He's provided a way. So thy kingdom coming, where is the kingdom? The kingdom of God is within you. That's what Jesus taught. The kingdom of God is within you. Where is the kingdom? It's not here. You look here. It's not here. It's in you. The danger when you extrapolate dominion theology, you start saying he's come to take back the land. Did Lucifer offer Jesus the kingdoms of this world and dominion and authority of this world? Did Jesus take it? Why didn't he take it? He never came for it. He came for you. You're his temple. You're his great prize. You're his daughter. Does any of this help? How many know there's a lot of stuff going out there? If Matthew 24 has not been fulfilled, you're going to get false apostles, false prophets, false teaching, and even the elect will be led astray. But who am I? I'm a nobody. So I don't know why you're listening to me. Maybe I actually have something to say. Yep. Yes. Yeah, Tartarus and Gehenna. Mm-hmm. But the lake of fire is not hell. Well, read your Bible. The Bible says that death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. So if hell is fire and brimstone, why would God be thrown into a lake of fire? Just a thought. If Lucifer right now is ruling in fire and brimstone and he's the author and the master of all that, welcome to my domain, why would he be tormented day and night by the fire and brimstone when he gets thrown into it? You know why Lucifer's terrified of it? He tasted in Ezekiel, he tasted the fire of God which consumed his angelic body. And that lake of fire is the manifest presence of God's holiness. And God will not kill him, he will torment him with the manifest presence of his glory and holiness. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? He won't kill him, he'll torment him. Why would Lucifer be terrified of the fire and brimstone and the Antichrist and the beast and all the demons? Because God is the person who formed and created the lake of fire. 
Yes? It's called Hades in the New Testament and Sheol in the Old Testament. The Hebrew was Sheol in the New Testament. It's called Greek Hades. What is darkness? The absence of? What does fire give off? God is an all-consuming? Fire. So therefore, Hades has to be a place of darkness because of the absence of fire and light. Acts twenty six eighteen two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness ruled by Satan and the kingdom of light ruled by Jesus. Yep. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. It's not soul sleep. Under the Old Testament covenant, they were taken to Abraham's bosom, the place of the righteous. When Jesus died, where did he go? To Hades, and he preached to the righteous. And when they received Christ by faith as the Messiah, the tombs in Jerusalem broke open. Not only did Christ rise, but the saints of old were seen walking around Jerusalem. First resurrection. So from that point on, no one went to Abraham's bosom or the place of soul sleep. That's right, but how many know that the dead can be those who are actually Christians, awake up, oh sleep, arise from the dead? Do you realize that death doesn't necessarily always mean physical death? It can actually mean that you are the walking dead. You're dead in the light. It's in Ephesians. And this whole thing about rapture, Jesus is not coming twice, he's coming once. Oh, so mucked up some of the theology. Oh, he's going to take the bride away. Well, the bride's already up there. Most of it's already up there. And he wouldn't cut short the days of tribulation because of the elect. Who's the elect? Oh, okay. He will, he's cut short the days of tribulation. What for the elect? That means who goes through tribulation? The elect. How many comings are there? One, two, three, one. Oh, I don't know. What do I know? You've got so many teachers out there. Who am I talking? I don't want. Oh, somebody's going to go fishing, mate. Go and sort it out. But you can be the blind leading the blind. If you don't know what's coming, you won't be a son of Issachar. How on earth can you lead people if you don't know what's coming? If you don't know what you're saving them from and taking them to, how many know you're in trouble? So you taking them to a new heaven and a new earth, or is this earth going to become the new earth? That's a massive theological difference. That's gigantic. Are you preparing to rule and reign on this earth or rule and reign with him in the heavenly realm as a son and daughter upon the new earth where the gates will be open because the new Jerusalem has come down on the new earth and we will see him face to face because he will habitate with us. He won't just visit. He will literally have the gates open. Sir. Which could be one day. Danger when you read Revelation, it better be by revelation and not by the understanding of man. Scripture saying Second Peter three ten to eighteen, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. A lot of things. Talks 
Lake of fire. For all eternity. No, no, for all eternity. Bible says he's cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. And he'll be tormented forever. See, the danger with Revelation, you've got to be so careful if you think it's on a timeline. And the danger with Revelation is by personal revelation. We could hear to the cows come home. Let's just find out what happens. Let's just live now and realize that this earth will pass away. And if you want to rule in an earth that's going to be destroyed for a thousand years, go ahead. I'm not interested in it because this earth is going to pass away. Yeah. Yes. Yes, a few hours. Yes. Ongoing. Ongoing because as a Christian, how many know that you get killed by the by your own people? How many have heard anything about spears being thrown and head on platters? How many of you, though they slay me, can't stop me? How many have been killed, had your head on a platter, your heart ripped out of your chest, and knives through your back by the church? Come on. How many have been hurt by Christians and non-Christians? How many have been hurt by family members who supposedly love you? How many have been hurt as a Christian? So how many know the ongoing process of being filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, forgiving, repenting, and acknowledging the Lordship of Christ is an ongoing sanctification process? I'm healed, but I'm being healed. <laughs> I'm healed right now. I don't know how long I'm going to stay before someone shoves a knife through my back. That's why I have a shield of faith. Warrior angels and a ministering fire behind me, so have a go. Sanctification is ongoing, being filled continually with the Holy Spirit, and revelation is ongoing because you will never stop learning. When you get to heaven, do you stop learning? No. But a thousand years will be like one day. What you learn here and grow in maturity here will be like a thousand years. You'll still grow, but it'll take longer to grow. When I died and, and God called me back up into the heavens, I saw old people, but when I looked at them, it wasn't physical age. They were maturity. I said, God, what's that? He said, they're elders. They have a knowledge of me. And it was like looking at an ancient person, ancient of days. That's why God calls himself the ancient of days. I went, look at these people. Then I saw babies, young people, babes in Christ almost, kids that have been aborted. You know what I mean? I looked and I thought, there are different age groups in here. There's different maturity in here. God said, do you want to grow in maturity and be transformed from glory to glory here on earth? Or do you just want to get to heaven and get your ticket to heaven? There are a lot of people that just want their ticket to heaven and don't want to even go on to maturity. That's fine. You do what you like. As for me, (laughs) people said to me, how big was your house when you got up there? (laughs) I'm thinking, mate, I don't even have a house. I rent one. I don't care about a house. Houses are for sleeping in. 
I said, the Bible says God doesn't sleep or slumber. So why do I need a house anyhow? I'm God's house made with his hands. I don't sleep or slumber because I'm a son of God. I can eat from the tree of life. I can move at the speed of light. They said, what would you like to do? I said, I'd like to hang around Jesus and find out what he's doing because he is a creator, extraordinary loving God. I want to hang around him. What about your family and loved ones? I said, they don't have my heart. I know some people only want to get to heaven because their family members are there. Or their dog or their cat. People say, you see any cats or dogs up there? I said, why are they asking about that? (laughs) Because in fact their heart's been given to their pet and if God hasn't taken the pest to heaven, mate, they don't want to go there because he's he's a mongrel God. (laughs) Where your treasures where your heart is. Have you put it into a loved one, a family member? Where is your heart? Who are you living for? I've been ruined for any other love. People say, what about your wife? I said, well, there's no marriage in heaven. One person said, thank God for that. (laughs) I said, mate, if it's true love, I want to hang around my missus. If she wants to hang around me, she might do a runner. She might have been giving me lip service. But if it's true love and it's eternal, why don't you want to hang around someone that you love? But if the lover of my soul is not my wife but Christ, I want to hang around him. Other people said, well, I want to see my golden house and golden boulevard and water my golden plants. I said, how boring is that? (laughs) I want to see where God is creating and moving in the heavens and moving at the speed of light where he's going. So the motivation of why you even want to go to heaven is interesting because God knows the motivation of your heart. Are you working for him to build up little treasures? You'd better put a knife in that one and kill it. Are you performing? Have you entered the rest, cease striving, and know he's God? Have you figured out you can't do anything? <laughs> you can't save anyone. You can't fix anybody. And without him, you can do nothing. How many know that takes a big burden off your shoulders? Yes. <laughs> to live as Christ, to die as gain. Dreams and visions. Old men have dreams, young men have visions. I'm still having visions. <laughs> young at heart, buddy. I would be lucky if I had a dream in my lifetime, but I have open visions continually. But I know most prophets, dreams. Let God speak to you. Dream, vision, studying the word, worship. Do something that you find God, mate. Go for it. Develop it, build it, paint, write. Do something and express who God is. Hang around with people who are trying to find God, mate. <laughs> Learn, grow, honor. But don't honor to the point of idolatry and don't honor to the point where you can't see that they're wrong. 
well, you take the prophetic out and then you, it's all called critical and judgmental. No, no, no. If you stop them from having discernment, you will miss actually the rebuke and correction of the word. The culture of honor can be idolatry and remove the teeth out of the prophetic and muzzle them. Done. We're done. Deal. It's all over. Oh well, the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. So therefore, in the last days, God is going to try and build his house as living stones instead of the leaders fleecing the flock and ripping off the Christians and building their own empire. God's going to take the money from the world and actually transfer it into the sons of God to actually build the true house. And there won't be Saul's who built his own house. It's going to be David's. You're not going to be sitting out in a tabernacle, tabernacling. You're actually supposed to come in to build a house. Get rid of your tabernacling. We're tabernacling as sojourners, but we're supposed to build a house. We're supposed to be living stones to build a house. The latter house is supposed to have greater glory than the former. This is the latter reigns. So if you're not building the house, you're building some outhouse. You're building some lean-to. We're not tabernacling the wilderness. We're coming in to build a house. Are you part of the problem or part of the solution? We are to be in the house that's supposed to be prayer. God never called us to build prayer houses. Prayer is in the house. Healing was in the house. God never called us to create healing rooms. Oh, you're looking at me now. (laughs) If you're going to camp around one of the revelations of the call of what the house is supposed to do, stop camping out in the wilderness, come in and do it in the house. It's in the house. If you think it's all 24-hour prayer and worship, guess what? then actually you got, I think you've got a room here where you can pray. I've got a mate in Tarrant who's opened up the rooms there in the house, in the church, pray 24-7. If you can't do it in the church, do it at home. And do you realize the Moravians only did that because they're arguing amongst themselves? <laughs> they had disagreements in Helmut. So we need to be a living temple continually praying and worshiping our heart. Let our prayers be as incense. So I'm doing that inside my temple all the time. In my house, I'm doing that. I just have to listen. Holy Spirit's praying through me all the time. Do not sit outside the house. Come in. Come out of your caves. Come out of the wilderness and help build. Lay your ministry down and actually find a corporate ministry. Stop talking about getting everyone to come into unity. Become unified in one house. You want the DNA? Get the whole DNA in one house. You can only reproduce after your own kind. If you think you've got part of the solution, lay your heart down, be a servant and come in and serve. Your gift will make room for you. If you're going to push your gift, shut up and go home. If you think it's about you and your calling, you better pull your head in. 
your gift and callings will make room for you. Don't make room for yourself. If you self-promote like most Christians do, it's of the world. If you try and sell yourself, my gosh, let God do it. And don't dare come into the position of ministry until you're actually prepared by God and God elevates you. It's him who lifts you up, not you. You know you can self-promote, you can sell, you can promote. You can even get people to believe that you're actually something good. (sighs) Don't you love me? You buy me a beer. No more questions. It's seven thirty. Get into building the fivefold in every local church. Every local church can have it. We're not looking for super apostles that rule and reign over everyone. We're looking for every church can have apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. If you have one of those leadership giftings, get in and help. Lots of love. Bless you heaps. Just on the table there, there's just Ian's testimony and CDs as they were uh, this morning. So if you want to buy those, just $2.15. All it does is just recover the costs uh, to produce them. DVDs, sorry. Um, you can see why Jesus said, I pray that they would be one. The high priestly prayer in the garden. You know, how many people's heads are hurting? <laughs> you know, and that's what the word will do, you know, to take away pride and to just mess us up. And that's why he prays, I pray they'll be one. And those that continue to hear the word will be one, which requires a massive amount of humility of spirit. And so um, thanks, mate. Thanks for coming again. And uh, we'll see more of this guy next year this year but have an awesome night i just encourage us to meditate go and seek for self and ask the questions let the holy spirit be your teacher literally and let the anointing of god teach you as it teaches us uh, in 1 john 2 28 and so have a cool week if you have questions if you need prayer for anything feel free to come forward outside of that have a good night